And now hear the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 20. And Jesus began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and led it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third, this one they also wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Peace be with you. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you on the Lord's Day. And today we are continuing our study in Luke's gospel. So Luke 20 comes just after Jesus has entered the city of Jerusalem like a king and declaring judgment upon the epicenter of Israel's life, the temple. And that's very important to note since, since the parable that Jesus tells today is one, of, is one of coming judgment. There are people gathering around him and behind him, heralding his coming. He's the head of a movement now, and people are picking sides. And we, sitting here this morning, we really have, we have the privilege of knowing how the story ends. And so we're, we're here today anticipating the direction that Jesus is taking. But I think it's good for us to imagine what it would have been like for people there at that time. These are people, as Jesus comes in, these are people who are, who are thinking that the kingdom is coming imminently. They're asking Jesus about this and he, he has to teach them concerning the kingdom, teaching them things that they don't yet understand teaching them that he, Jesus, um, very much like a nobleman, will have to go away and receive a kingdom and then come back. And seeing the growing popularity of Jesus and the movement around him, the leaders of the people, the chief priests and scribes, they're threatened. And so they immediately try to trap Jesus. And they do this in the, in the portion just before our text this morning. They do this by asking him about the source of his authority. If his authority is from man, then it can be dismissed. 
But if he claims it's from God, then they, they have other grounds by which they could move against him. But Jesus, though we didn't read this part, Jesus turns the trap on them and traps them in their own question, leaving them without any recourse. And as he has set them on their heels in that moment of vulnerability, he tells them this parable. And as he tells them the parable, they, they want to kill him. The, the very thing that he illustrates, he evokes. And in light of that, I think it's important for us to ask this, how, how, how do we react to this parable? How do you react to this parable? What's provoked in you as you hear this story from Jesus? Let's read this again. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants, rented it out to tenants, and went into another country for a long time. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed, and he sent another servant. But they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed, and he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. And then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. Perhaps they will listen to him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Can I see a little bit of an echo of Joseph here? Yeah. There are a number of people and relationships in this parable, and they're all important. We have the vineyard owner. We have the employed tenants. We have a few different servants sent by the owner. We have the son of the vineyard owner. We have the, the vineyard itself. And we even have the others that Jesus mentions at the end. There's a lot of dynamics here. But it's pretty clear from the parable the tenants whom the owner has left in charge must tend his vineyard for him. The owner has planted the vineyard. He's invested in the vineyard. It's his vineyard. And then he leaves the vineyard to these farmers to make sure that it's properly cared for. So that the tenants have a, a very self-evident obligation. They must tend this vineyard according to the owner's direction and for the profit of the owner. They don't have the freedom to tend it or treat it however they please or however they see fit. They must tend it according to the hope and intention of the owner. And additionally, as, as we know, that the vineyard is meant to be fruitful and profitable, as, as any vineyard would be. And assuming the owner is a good man, the, the tenants will be paid for their labor, but it is the owner who receives the profits. And that should make sense because if, if any one of us, if you put up money for a venture and you put in the investment and then you hire out others to work in that business, the profits and, and even the deficits, they belong to you. It's probably good at this point to remember who Jesus is addressing here. He is speaking to the chief priests and scribes of Israel. And the way that Jesus introduces the parable highlights the background 
in particular of two passages, Isaiah 5 and Psalm 80. Now, we, I, I would really love to read them both because they're lovely, but just in the interest of time, I, I want you all to do that on your own and with your parish. Isaiah 5 and Psalm 80, I want you to read both of those and think about this parable. Suffice it to say, God calls the men and women of Israel his vineyard, his vineyard. And he had cared for them as such. He had, he had given them a homeland where they could grow. He gave them his word, his law, and, and taught them how to live. He gave them the temple where they could fellowship with him and welcome the nations. And Israel was given all of these things in order to cultivate a fruitful vineyard within their community and for the world. And the religious leaders of Israel, they are the tenants of this vineyard. It was their job as the leaders of God's people to care for and shepherd Israel by God's word, not according to their own word or their own wisdom, and for the Father's own profit, not for their own gain. Take, take a moment and consider, take a moment and consider what you have, all that you have, your financial ability, your physical ability, your emotional ability, your mental ability, all of your possessions, all of your talents, all of your gifts, anything that's yours, any advantage that you have, your life itself, you can't look at yourself as if you are the owner of all those things. You must look at yourself as if you are a tenant. And that's why Jesus is aiming this parable right at the chief priests and the scribes. This has gone wrong in Israel. Jesus is telling the religious leaders that while they were meant to be tenants, they're acting like owners. They will not welcome or listen to the servants, the prophets that God has sent them, and they won't share the prophets of the vineyard with anyone. They have forgotten that they don't own the vineyard, and they have forsaken seeing Israel's fruitfulness according to God's word. But, but this is exactly what the Bible tells us. Before we distance ourselves too much, this is exactly what the Bible tells us that all of humanity is prone to do. We are all of us, each one of us, prone. We are all tenants who act like owners. But if we're honest with ourselves, we actually can't do, if we're really honest with ourselves, we actually can't do whatever we want with our lives, our bodies, and our minds. You have all of us, each one of you, you have physical and relational desires, but you can't use those however you want. You have a certain level of power. You have a certain level of financial ability, but you can't wield those the way that you want, any way that you want. Now I know our world says the opposite. Our own hearts say the opposite. It's, it says that we can do whatever we want with whatever we have, that we should be able to follow most every desire, if not every desire, 
Because if we don't, if we don't do that, then we'll live lives as repressed people. And currently, that's the worst thing that we could do. Our world says you can decide your own values, your own course. It's your life. It's your money. It's your body. And that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus is saying. The human heart and the human world say, act like an owner. And the Bible says, no, that's, that's not who you are. You are a tenant. And the only way to live is to tend to the vineyard by God's word, not your own, for his profit, not your own gain. We live with hearts and minds in a world that, that tells us that we can be self-sufficient. But the truth is, the real truth is, is that we are utterly dependent. And it's hard for us to hear. It's hard for us to believe. But it's, God word, it's God's words that tell us that that is our nature. Dependency. We know we're tenants. We know, if we're really honest with ourselves, we we see how much control we can actually wield. But there's also part of us that does resent that, resents that we don't have more control, that we don't have more say. We know that we owe the owner, but secretly in our, in our hearts, we don't want to owe him. We want to do it ourselves. And, that, and when that illusion of self-sufficiency, whenever that is shattered by anyone or anything, gosh, we, we hate the circumstances or we hate the news or we hate the challenge. But if we are owners and not tenants, if we are owners in a meaningless vineyard, Let me rephrase that. If we are owners and not tenants, if we are owners in a meaningless vineyard, everything would begin and end with us if we are the owners. Religious leaders of Israel as tenants knew that they had an obligation to the owner. They knew they had an obligation to Yahweh but they resented it, and even more, they resented Jesus for pointing out that they had failed. Jesus reminds them with the servants that God had sent them prophets over the years, many, many prophets to tell them that they were failing to shepherd, to shepherd the people of Israel faithfully. And if we read the books of the prophets, we can see that repeatedly, God's chosen messengers were ignored, they were dismissed, they were abused, they were killed. But it's really here that Jesus also highlights God's grace to his people. This is a gracious owner because he doesn't just give his people or the leaders and tenants of his people one or two chances or just three or four chances or just five or six chances. He sends repeated missives into the, into the lives of his people. He sends repeated misses into our lives to tell us over and over again that we are his vineyard, 
that we are his people, that we are his tenants, that we should live by his word for his profit, that we are not owners. He sends his spirit over and over again to tell us that our self-sufficiency and independence is an illusion and that dependence is our true condition. Just for a moment, think, think of how many times the Lord has shown you that or spoken to you like that or shown you ways that you're trying to be an owner through a friend, through a teacher, through a mentor, through a boss, through a parish member. Per perhaps we've listened or perhaps we've dismissed them or railed against them, maybe even beat up on a few of them. In what ways, in what ways have the saints of this church been God's messengers to you? Who here has helped you see that being the owner of your own life is an illusion? Who here has helped you see that you can't shepherd the wind, as Solomon says? Maybe, maybe some of you think you can control your life and, and how it's going, and to that I would just tell you, you just need to wait longer. <laughs> That'll come. Life will never let you in the end believe that you are the owner. My... Uh, I don't speak about this very often, and I did wonder why as I thought about this, but my dad died almost nine years ago, and I spoke with the pastor who had, who had come to meet him after his cancer diagnosis, and I met with him one day, and I just asked him how my dad was doing, and he said, I have never seen anyone angrier about knowing that they're going to die than your dad. And my dad never gave up on that anger. My dad went to his grave refusing to believe that he wasn't in control of his own destiny. But in that way, death was his greatest teacher. If, this, if we step back and look at this and just think about this, if, if this life won't let any of us be the owner, all of humanity included, then the logical conclusion is that none of us are. Somebody else is. Every one of us is in here. We will, we will have endless evidence that we are not in charge, and that's because we are the tenants. Brothers and sisters, your, your ability isn't yours. Your money isn't yours. Your sexuality isn't yours. Your intelligence isn't yours. Your body isn't yours. They are all a gift of God to you. And when you act, when we act as if we are the owner of those things, it's kind of like a three-month-old wanting to take the keys and go for a drive. When we do that, though, God in his mercy keeps sending his messengers to warn us and to call us back. So how are you responding 
to his messengers? Are you welcoming them hospitably? Are you welcoming them with open arms or are you, I don't know, closing the door, receiving them more injuriously? If you, if you notice, let's keep moving. If you notice in the parable, as it goes on, the tenants are being increasingly rough with God's messengers. And when the son of the owner is sent, all that seething enmity just erupts, explodes. And they kill the son. They kill the heir to get what they believed was owed to them in the first place, the inheritance. Let's kill him to get what we've always wanted the true ownership, the true inheritance of this vineyard. The evidence that the human condition is opposed to God came most certainly when God the Son incarnated into our world and made himself physically vulnerable and was almost immediately kicked, beaten, tortured, and killed. It's Jesus himself who said in John's gospel, they hated me without cause. Incredible. They hated me for no reason. Paul says it this way in Romans 8, the mind that is set on the flesh, the natural mind, is hostile to God. Not can be hostile, not might be, is in our fallen and broken state, we constantly fight against submitting or admitting that God is in control of all that we are and all that we have. Because we are, I mean, we're, we're terrified of losing control of our lives or of not having more control over our lives. Even as we follow Christ, and I know we can all attest to this, even as we have come to know him and come to follow him, knowing that his death and resurrection has satiated the enmity between God and his people, that we stand reconciled to God as his children, we still know that there is a remnant enmity left in our hearts that needs further attention. We have icy hearts that keep needing to be broken and rewarmed. Let's go back to our text. What then will the owner of the vineyard do then? It's Jesus speaking. He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. This, this is actually them saying, that would never happen. He would never do that. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that's written? What about this? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The rejected stone is the rejected stone. Everyone who falls on that stone, everyone who falls on the sun, will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, when the sun falls on anyone, it will crush him. Like, like Britt said last week, Jesus delivers this parable to the chief priests and scribes like Nathan speaks to David about Bathsheba. What would the owner do, he asks. 
to the tenants if they treated his vineyard, his messengers, his son, him that way. He says that the owner would return, the owner will return, and destroy the wicked tenants and give the vineyard to others. And this, is, this point is very important because it's not enough to, to just bring the tenants to an end. The, the vineyard is not being destroyed. The vineyard is being preserved. It must still be looked after and cultivated. So Jesus isn't making a claim about Israel being dispossessed, but about the wicked tenants, the chief priests and scribe, having their places taken, supplanted by faithful tenants. And I believe that the others that Jesus is referring to are the 12 disciples, the soon-to-be 12 apostles. The kingdom of God is going to be entrusted to the 12 apostles as they then open the door of the kingdom to the Gentiles. And the nations are going to be welcomed into the kingdom. See, Jesus is telling them, this is going to happen. And even in telling them that it's going to happen, it's what provokes them even more. Israel will have new caretakers and the rejected son, the rejected stone, will become the cornerstone of a new temple. All of a sudden, we're in this, not necessarily a different metaphor, but we're talking about a vineyard and a temple, a new temple. The temple that has become an idol to Israel will be destroyed. It will be raised to the ground. And a new living temple will be built with Jesus as the cornerstone. And this is precisely why this is precisely why the Jewish leaders seek to capture him, to arrest him, to kill him. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the stone upon which you can build, or if you reject it, be crushed by. And here's what Jesus is foreshadowing. When, when Jesus was arrested and tried and beaten and died on the cross, it was enmity that killed him. People's enmity toward God killed the son. But the glory of the gospel is that that very killing that came from that enmity is the very way that the son put the enmity to death in his own body. Paul said it this way in Ephesians, and I'm paraphrasing. When God gave his only son to be killed on the cross, it was through Christ that the hostility between us and God was killed. God made his own son enmity. So we have a choice. Just like those who watch Jesus riding into Jerusalem, we have sides to pick. We can either be crushed by the stone or we can be built on top of the stone. There's no other way. We either acknowledge that God is the owner or we keep trying to live as if we are. And if we don't, if you don't admit that you need to be saved from that enmity, if you reject the sunstone, then you'll be crushed by the sunstone. But if you admit, 
if you do, if we all admit that we are at enmity with God, then we will be an enemy no longer. And you will become a living stone to be built upon him in his new temple. You will be a stone built on the rock. You'll we'll actually be, we'll all be chips off the old rock. Can I say that? Jesus, the faithful tenant, the faithful messenger, the faithful son, was willing to be treated like an enemy for you to know the love of the Father. And if that's true, then it cannot be dangerous to give control of your life to someone like that. We're freed from trying to be the owners. We are the tenants. Let us continue to listen to the messages that God sends and not beat them away. One final thought, just a small thought. While, while every Christian is a vine dresser, every, every one of us is a tenant, and every one of us, every one of you has a role to play in the cultivation of this vineyard at Sojourn, the emphasis that Jesus places in the parable today is on the care of the leaders of God's people. As elders, Paul, Matt, Britt, Adam, and I have been, we've been lent this vineyard. And the kind of care and authority, authority that we exercise should be the care and authority that is meant to make the vineyard the best version of itself, to draw the best fruit out of the vineyard for your good, not ours, for your good and the profit of the Lord. This place is, is meant to be a vineyard that is full of fruit for our enjoyment and the enjoyment of the world, our neighbors, those who don't know Jesus, if we as elders, if we tend to you all arrogantly, dismissively, unfaithfully, sinfully, disobediently, or for selfish gain, we deserve correction, challenge, and warning. We should never be unapproachable. If we are, that is a problem and it needs to be corrected. I can assure you that, that in my experience with these men, and I'll speak for them only, even in the most difficult times, and I have been so encouraged by their faithfulness, but none of them have lost sight that this vineyard belongs to the heir and not to them. That said, brothers and sisters, May we, may we all grow the garden through faithful cultivation of this vineyard by keeping our marriage vows, by rearing godly children, by serving the poor, by living patient and self-controlled lives, by exercising hospitality and neighborly living, 
May we glorify and beautify this vineyard and the earth through honorable vocations, honorable work, and through the planting of, of literal gardens. May we love our neighbors and serve the church. Each and every one of you is allotted land to till, vines to prune, seeds to plant. We are each given gifts to be used for the common good so that this vineyard is profitable for our God, profitable for many others. May we bring these gifts to the community garden and tend to one another until the land bears the fruit of love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. May we work and keep this vineyard and subdue the wilderness around us according to his word and for his profit. There are thorns, there are thistles everywhere we turn, but we can bear them as a crown for the joy that is also set before us. And may we pray and sing to the God of heaven for rain because for all our faithful work, only he can bring the growth. But the wilderness will not prevail. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Will you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, Lord, we do thank you for, Lord, your word this morning, specifically, Lord, this parable of Christ, this story that calls us, Lord, to respond. Lord, this, this story that calls causes us and calls us to repent. To remember that we are not the owners, we are tenants. To remember that we are not our own, we are yours. And to know that, Lord, this vineyard that you have given us, Lord, that it is meant to be tilled in particular way, specifically according to your word. Would you make us people who would not look for other ways to cultivate? but would look to your word. Lord, that we would bear fruit in keeping with repentance, that we would bear fruit in keeping with hospitality, that we would bear fruit in keeping with, with kingdom living, where the nations are welcomed, where people are cared for, where we bear each other's burdens. Lord, you have done all of those things for us. Would you make us more like you? in this way. Lord, we long to be faithful tenants that listen to your servants that are sent. We long to kiss the son, not kill him. And we thank you for ending the enmity between, between us. Not only between us, but between one another. Lord, would you make that live and sing in our hearts and our lives. We need you. We love you. Please, please help us, we pray. We ask it in your name. Amen.